Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oil seed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar and thanks for tuning in to episode number 178. So the question we're seeking to answer today is, have we been here before? Is the current extremes in pricing across commodities completely unprecedented or have we faced a similar situation before, learnt from it, and now in a better position to manage these challenges this time around? So when we have these big topics, one of our favourite guests to have on the podcast is Michael Whitehead, Head of Agribusiness Insights at ANZ, who is joining Robert Herman today. There is plenty of interesting insight in today's episode, looking into political responses around the world to the food security threat, how trade flows shift when we see major disruptions to supply, and the impact on farms here in Australia. Also, some pretty hard-to-hear news at the end there, which I won't spoil for you now. But before we hand over, a few quick local market highlights from this week. There was a bit of pressure on most categories of cattle this week with fairly heavy price falls, but young cattle are still receiving support, and that was despite an increase in yardings of cattle of that type. The medium cow price actually hit a record high last week and we're seeing a lot of strong competition from restockers against processors on that depleted herd and also really strong export demand that's driving the market there. You can pretty easily tell the sentiment of the wool market by looking at the proportion of wool that's been passed in at auction by growers and with 17% of the offering passed in this week, growers were clearly not impressed with the direction of the market. So prices fell across the board and there was a significant jump in the Australian dollar this week, so it's little surprise that overseas buyers were cautious. As always, you can head to the Mercado website for more detailed analysis and commentary. And with that, enjoy the episode, and I'll hand over to Robert Herman and Michael Whitehead. Today's sponsor of Commodity Conversations is Cleaver's Organic Meats. All Cleaver's products are sourced from Australian family-owned farms, where animals are raised in free-range environments are grass-fed from start to finish and meet the strict animal welfare requirements of the Australian Certified Organic Standard. They offer a wide range of delicious lamb, beef and chicken products. Jump on their website to learn more at www.cleaversorganics.com.au Thanks for that great invitation, Liv, and we have got Michael Whitehead back on again from the ANZ Bank, and it's terrific to have you here, Michael. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks very much, Rob. Great to be back. Now, let's talk about what's happening on the big picture, because that's the sort of areas that uh, you would be looking at, I'm sure, and the bank would be very interested in having an understanding of it. I want to lead with a question, though, Michael. Are we in unprecedented times, or is this something that we've seen before? Uh, Rob, without trying to take the easy way out, uh, you could say it both ways. Um, yes, we've seen parts of this before, but a number of the factors are different. And what are we talking about when we say we've seen it before? Um, let's absolutely start, and we have to, with the record or near record grain and oilseed prices that we're seeing in most of those commodities, largely due to Ukraine. Uh, we see wheat at those very high prices. 
Uh, we see soybeans, uh, not something we deal with so much in Australia, but something that impacts the other commodities we deal with. There's always an interaction globally between wheat, between corn, soybeans, to a degree canola, even oats as well. When one gets too expensive, either users move to, an, to another one for food and for feed, or buyers as well go to another one. So, so we're with those very high prices. We need to talk about that more today, uh, particularly what's driving them and what's beyond our control. What is different now and why these may be unprecedented times is when we look at when this happened before. And the last time this happened in a big way was 2008. Uh, in 2008, we saw prices at record levels because of global drought, because of commodities being used for uh, ethanol as well. And we saw food riots around the world. We saw political instability. We saw the world discover this thing called stock to use ratios it's never seen before and find out, for example, that it had two to four weeks worth of rice left in stock in the world, which led to huge issues. Things are different now. Governments have stocked up a lot more. Governments have prepared for this. And first world governments, much more than they did before, do not want to see a repeat of that geopolitical instability in the past. So some of the things we're seeing now, we are much better prepared for. But in fact, to, to, to answer your question, a long answer to a short question, no, we haven't seen a time like this one before. Of course, one of the other differences we're seeing right now is the is the growth in the demographic that has more money. And, and if we use China as an example, from 2011 onwards, they really started to ramp up their consumption of uh, what we would call higher value foods. So these countries with large populations are aware that this food is available. So I imagine that is heightening the tension as well, Michael. Look, it's heightening the tension partly because those governments know that the populations are eating a lot differently and a lot better. They're also wearing different fibres, and we can talk about that and how the, the price of fibres uh, is quite different now uh, from what it was in 2008 because of that growth in income. So governments like China know that their people want to eat a lot more meat. They want to eat a lot more horticultural products, fruit and veg, to, to stay healthier and be like the Western consumer. Uh, they need the feed for this as well. So for the government to keep stability and the people happy, and there is an old quote out there, some people say it was by Lenin, which is a bit ironic in today's current times, that any country is three meals away from chaos, that if a population gets worried about where its next three meals will come from, that will cause instability. So governments, and particularly China, China more than any other, have prepared for this time. They have absolutely built up their storage levels and sought to build their internal supply chains so they're not as dependent on being shut out if there's a crisis. If we look at China, for example, China has by far the majority of the world's corn and the world's rice in its own storages. Absolutely. The world has far more grains and oilseeds in storage now than it did in 2008, which, which means there is less pressure to some degree on the world running out or supplies getting very tight. But a huge amount of that is in China. And add to that, that China late last year, the Chinese government came out and said to the central government, to its provinces, we still don't have enough grain. 
We are still too reliant on grain here to every single province is a specified amount as to how much more you should grow uh, and woe betide any province that didn't achieve or doesn't achieve what uh, it was told to grow without a good excuse. But also here's how we want to change the internal supply chains and modernize them so that we are more and more self-secure. China cannot feed itself. That is what it is, but it wants to raise the amount it has so so that we've got cut out of things. And we can go beyond China, the Indonesian consumer, the Egyptian consumer, the Thai consumer, so many of these countries, they need more of that food. They are, they are dependent on it coming from different areas. Yes, they've built up their, their storages, but the fact, and we'll come back to this, that 30% of that grain going into their food or into the feed for their animals, their dairy cows, their pigs, their poultry, their agriculture as well, may be cut out by what's happening in Ukraine at the moment is absolutely causing those concerns. Yes, and, and we, we do mention that, I mean, China is very good at having the largest reserves of almost everything. Um, but that also, in this environment, would create tension for other countries who haven't been quite as well prepared, I guess, or haven't been able to prepare and are then saying, look, we're relying on um, what's produced annually. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the biggest areas of supply, the Russia-Ukraine area, is under some sort of risk. It absolutely is. What we might also see is a shift uh, in who buys what from whom. So that may, might alleviate some of that. If we go back to what we saw with, say, barley and canola a year or two ago, we get an example there. When China shut out Canadian canola because of a political difference between the two, Australia steps into that market and picks up that demand there. Good for the Australian grower. But where Australian canola wasn't going, Canadian canola fits in. By and large, the market works out as it was. If we look at barley, similar thing, roles slightly reversed. Australian barley shut out by high tariffs. Um, then European barley flows into China. Australia then fills those markets, particularly in the Middle East and Thailand and others have missed out. And barley prices, in a way, go higher than they had before. So what might happen now if China looks to keep buying and with that grain out of uh, Ukraine and out of Russia? What is interesting for anybody who watched the Beijing Olympics when you weren't watching the figure skating uh, or the downhill skiing, you may have seen Mr. Putin being the highest ranking foreign leader at the Beijing Olympics. And on February 8, he signed a deal with China uh, for Russian grain to go into that region. Up until then, China had shut out Russian wheat because of what they said were high fungus levels. It is interesting sometimes, and there are lots of precedents for this, uh, how some of those quarantine issues can be forgotten when there are worries about tight supply. So we're seeing some of that grain flowing into China. Uh, China may potentially buy less from some of the other players it was buying from, Australia being one of them. So there may be opportunities for that grain, Australian grain, European, North American grain to go into some of those other markets. That said, there will still be concern. The largest buyer of grain in the world is Egypt, the largest importer of grain being Egypt. Um, and Egypt has already reacted. It's put out tenders for grain buying that it couldn't fill fully. It's had to bring in domestic policies to stop the export of any of its own grain uh, and to subsidise more and more production. And it can't keep doing that forever. We've seen political responses in Thailand where feed manufacturers have said they don't know if they can keep affording the amount of feed there. Uh, and they're looking to stop some of the exports as well. 
even in New Guinea, because we go through different countries with different stages of development, New Guinean industry is now saying they don't know for how much longer they can afford the high prices. So those ripples are absolutely going out there. They haven't got to the food rights yet. They're starting to get to the export bans. Argentina is reacting with some bans on its own grain, as Argentina tends to do now and then, but we just don't want them to keep going on for too much longer. So... I guess that equation that you just outlined where and the reactions also applies to red meat. I mean, we're, we're seeing that whether, you know, China might ban a couple of abattoirs here, but it doesn't seem to be impacting on the price and the, and the flow through of exports. Once again, it's, it's that interesting perfect storm. And you go back to the first question you asked, have we been here before? I, I suppose every, every occasion is new in a certain way. But we find ourselves now with a different kind of a storm uh, of combination of factors in the beef industry. We have the fact that, yes, that red meat demand is definitely there into China, into the Middle East, into other markets in Asia. At the same time, the rain keeps falling here and that grass keeps growing. And those restockers who were restocking in 2021 and 2020 post drought are looking around and going, looks like we're going to have reasonably warm weather and a lot of good grass. And I've got confidence in the industry going forward. So that's pushing prices up at the same time, too. Even with the high prices in grain, the economics of feedlots remain pretty good as well, not just for the South Korean market who want grain-fed Australian beef and the Japanese market who want grain-fed Australian beef, but the Australian supermarket who is looking to the feedlot to give them that certainty of supply as well. So you've got all those different parts of the Australian market, the restocker, the feedlotter and the processor, pushing prices up and competing, and at the same time, the export market in most places as strong as ever. Yes, and while we don't have, well, we have some short-term supply issues at times just through um, crazy consumer buying in our supermarkets, we don't have the risk of running out. But at the same time, these supermarkets have um, created a demand and an expectation in their customers that there'll be always that quality beef and quality lamb products on their shelves. They absolutely have. You you would have to say that the Australian consumer, it's not so much a consumer fatigue, uh, which is an interesting one in food demand. Consumer fatigue in food demand is when people go without for a little while in, in first world economies, and then they get sick of going without, so they rush out and buy lots of luxury things. And mm. we've seen that before. I think we're getting consumer acceptance now of shortages. We obviously had that panic around March 2020, semi-panic, mm. when we had shelves stripped bare of milk, toilet paper of meat and other things. Consumers in Australia are now thinking, yes, there may be slightly less avocados at times. There may be slightly less uh, rump steak or wagyu at times. Um, they get used to that. But yes, they do expect that there will be absolutely a pretty consistent supply there. And they need that as well. What is interesting with that one too, and the economics are playing out, that whilst the rise in cattle prices has absolutely impacted prices on the shelves of meat, the impact on demand for meat has not been as strong as a lot of retailers and observers thought it would be. Maybe the national diet has changed. Uh, maybe the way families work has changed through the whole COVID period. But uh, that, that purchase of good meat, uh, of feeding one's family, of not going out as much because the CBDs have been shut down as much, have meant that people have been more willing to pay that. 
That might change going forward over coming months if we see a rise, particularly in some of the horticultural products that get to a point where it really starts to raise eyebrows of the buyers uh, if we see some shortages in the domestic market. Now, speaking today to Michael Whitehead, who's ANZ's Chief Analyst, and uh, we always love having you along, Michael. You will probably be well aware that most of our listeners on Commodity Conversations are producers, farmers and producers. And all the discussion we've had so far, while there's a whole lot of uh, uncertainty, potential volatility, even tragedy in what's happening in in, uh, Ukraine and uh, in those areas, uh, most of it is actually positive for the prices of our Australian producers. This is absolutely right. We, we've got to be absolutely upfront about that. And and you're absolutely right what you say. It's not just a saying. Uh, farmers identify with every farmer around the world, everything they go through, the lifestyle, the, the work ethic as well. And nobody wants to, to think that anyone else is doing badly. But you're right. Um, and it, it's always been the case to a degree. When there is a drought, a flood, uh, an export ban somewhere else in the world, and when you've had a good year, that's good for you. Same with us to a degree. Mm. Uh, when we went through those really bad drought years through 2018, 2019, when Australia's wheat uh, and wider grain exports were way down, that was good for the Northern Hemisphere grain producers. Uh, but yes, th- this is good for just about everything across the board. We've talked about beef, uh, sheep meat, uh, volatile, but obviously good as well. Um, positive signs for wool. Uh, across the grains and oilseeds board, things are good. We could even go into some of the others. Uh, cotton prices are at multi-year levels uh, because of the, some of the bad weather, particularly in India, uh, and the bad crops coming out of the US. And even sugar, Um, if there are sugar producers out there, they will know that the signs are looking good for sugar because when oil prices go up, uh, the sugar in Brazil gets put into ethanol. And when the sugar in uh, Brazil gets put into ethanol, there's less on the world market. And that's a good day for Australian sugar producers. So, yes, just about everything across the Australian production, agri-production sector is looking good. Except for the things we buy in, Michael. And uh, yeah. we can't we can't ignore the fact that uh, our fertilisers and our um, our farm inputs in general, which are generally manufactured overseas and brought in, have all got um, much more expensive. But also there is some level of anxiety about even supply and, and logistics chains that are in place to deliver those. Yes, that uh, scribbling or that tapping sound you can hear is farm consultants across Australia redoing a lot of the budgets and strategies for so many of their clients and working out scenarios as to where grain prices may go at the end of this year and how that could impact what those inputs are going to be and some decisions to be made. Uh, Will you pay these input prices? How much have you secured so far? Um, Will you think about actually reducing some of your levels? It's it's happened before. Um, it, It could last for a reasonable amount of time, depending on how long this conflict goes and how much some of the major exporters decide, even potentially after that, to hold back their domestic production to use in their own countries. So this could change some of the equation. We always, well, we don't always forget, we always know, but maybe we don't think about it enough, that the uh, we never know where we are in a cycle. The next drought is always a day closer. Uh, the next downturn in commodity prices is always a day closer. Not to be pessimistic about it, but just to know that things won't always be as good as they are sometimes. 
And of course, the bank would know that um, these times that we're seeing, especially in southern, southeastern Australia, I guess, where we've had uh, a couple of years on the road now where we've had good, good seasons, we've certainly had good prices, uh, farmers are in a pretty sound financial position. By and large, a lot of them are. They absolutely are. And, well, obviously the biggest thing that uh, the biggest way this has played out or the most prominently has been in what it's meant for land prices uh, as people, by and large, buy the neighbours. We can talk about, and we used to maybe five years ago, talk about the impact of foreign investors, uh, institutional investors. But in many ways, the biggest driver right now is people taking advantage of a few good years buying the neighbours, perhaps the neighbours taking advantage of those good years and choosing now to get out and um, get a house by the beach. Uh, and, and they're also on. taking advantage, Michael, of uh, organisations like the ANZ being very happy to lend money at, uh, at rates that are, that are quite attractive. Rob, I, I think uh, ANZ and every organisation that lends money uh, will always look at all the risk profiles. Um, and this is always the case, uh, always look at, you know, how well something is managed, um, a rational look at what the outlook is as well, uh, realistically looking at, at, at all those factors at the same time. And yes, you are also right. Rates have been low, whether it's for agricultural land, whether it's for residential uh, houses as well, right across the board. And absolutely no secret whatsoever that every observer in the market is saying that at some point, these rates are going to go up again. It is interesting, and, and we talked about the fact that farm advisors, farmers themselves, strategists, accountants are making the 2022-2023 forecast based on input prices. No doubt as well that they are looking at what the potential rate rises would be, what the repayments would look like, uh, and how to factor that in. Everybody responsible would need to be doing that. Now, we've covered a lot of ground today, Michael, but I've left the most important and critical part till last, and that is that I've noticed in my coffee shop and I'm reading between the lines that coffee is getting, is, is getting more expensive and likely to go up. How's coffee beans impacted by all this um, activity that we're seeing globally at the moment? Uh, it's the weather. It's absolutely the weather. Um, bad weather in Brazil was was one thing and so much of the world's coffee coming out of that um supply chain disruptions as well all those other things that are getting restricted from getting to your supermarket shelves there are those disruptions in coffee beans coming out of brazil coming out of the parts of africa and asia the uh, africa and asia that they come from uh, and that is slowing things down and it is that that ripple on effect um, coffee is an interesting one uh, because perhaps uh, particularly as Victorians, Australians and others, we see it so much, we identify with it and we all know what price we're prepared to pay, whether it's the servo uh, or whether with the local barista as well. Um, and as they have to absorb the prices and as they have to absorb other prices coming in, whether it's energy, high cost for labour because the usual students or backpackers aren't there, they're passing it on. So, so yes, it's those coffee beans coming in. And, yes, will people buy $7 coffee or will something have to give? Well, I used to think $5 was a threshold that would be difficult to break, but that's um, clearly been smashed. I'm also thinking, Michael, that we're talking about a first world problem there because some of the things we're talking about today are in, in terms of food security and to wrap up are very, very serious for a lot of people in the world. We... 
look, uh, we, we don't know, and it's uh, quite a Beatles song. And once again, it has ironic ties back to some of the conflict at the moment from back in the USSR. We don't know how lucky we are. Yeah. Um, we in Australia who export roughly 70% of the agriculture we produce, it is unfathomable in this country that we would not have enough to eat. But for so many countries, the people wondering where that next meal of rice, of grain, uh, of any meat whatsoever will come from, uh, how much of their small household budget it will cost, whether their governments will be able to find it. Um, and that absolutely will be leading to, to some of those concerns that were so big in 2008. So, so yes, we are very lucky. If there is, as I said at the start, uh, first world governments do not want to see this happening. So we are likely to see some levers pulled, uh, more assistance to, to make sure this is averted. So, Michael, we always have an extended conversation with you for a good reason, because there's so much to cover and you're, you're very generous with your time. We appreciate it. We thank you. And we look forward to having you back again on Commodity Conversations very soon. Look forward to it. Thanks very much, Rob. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again, and until next week, take care.